Having your phone not work quite right after an update or having your Facebook account hacked is a sad but realistic fact of life. There's a ton of tech that is in our lives that we don't quite understand how it works. And what's more, this tech can be watching you, recording your personal information to be used by its parent company and who knows who else. If you want to go off the grid, however, you can just leave your new tech at home. But what if this tech is inside of you and a part of you? What if you need it to live? Now, not understanding what this tech is doing takes on a whole different meaning. You can't leave it at home and you can't switch it off. It's always with you and you don't have a choice to be apart from it. Today, we're joined by a Norwegian cyborg, someone who takes the tech embedded within her very seriously. This is Spark Dialogue Podcast. You could find us at sparkdialogue.com, on Facebook and Twitter, or wherever you find your podcasts. Spark Dialogue tells the stories of science and technology and how they relate to our society, the future, culture, art, philosophy, our lives, and how we see ourselves as humans. I'm your host, Elizabeth Fernandez. Spark Dialogue Podcast continues to operate with the support of listeners like you. And you can become more involved with the podcast by supporting us on patreon.com slash sparkdialogue. Here you can have a chance to interact more with the podcast by suggesting topics or even asking questions to our guests. You can find out more information on our website at sparkdialogue.com. Hi, I'm Marie Mo. I am a research manager at the research institute Sintef in Norway. I'm also an associate professor with NTNU, the Technical University in Norway. And I have a PhD in information security. Back in 2011, Marie had a day that would change her life forever. At the time, I was working uh, for the Norwegian government, the National CERT of Norway, doing cyber incident response. And I was on my way to work one day. Uh, I didn't know that I had a heart problem at the time. I just suddenly found myself lying on the floor. And it turned out uh, I had passed out because my heart had taken a break. So I paused long enough to cause unconsciousness. Marie didn't know what happened. Up until then, she had been a healthy individual. And it turned out that her heart had stopped beating long enough to cause unconsciousness. So I I just found myself on the floor. I didn't know what had happened. I went to the emergency room, to the hospital, and they did a checkup of me. And they said, you have a arrhythmia, a problem with with the electricity in the heart. And after a week, I was implanted with a pacemaker. Marie was probably born with this condition, but she didn't know it until that moment when her heart stopped beating. And at a substantially younger age than most, she received a pacemaker. This pacemaker is generating every beat of her heart, and she needs it to stay alive. It's uh, actually generating 100% of my heartbeat, so I'm totally uh, dependent on the pacemaker. So the pacemaker works, uh, it's a it's a, like a computer inside of my body. It uh, monitors my heart and uh, sends a small electrical signal through a wire and stimulates the heart whenever it needs to uh, contract. So since I have a condition called an AV block, it means that uh, I need 
all my heartbeats needs to be stimulated by the pacemaker. After a short surgery and a quick recovery, Marie was back at work. But remember, Marie worked for cybersecurity for the Norwegian government, and she began to wonder about the security of this device now inside of her. Being a researcher and having that kind of researcher gene, I just wanted to know as much as possible about my device. So I started searching for information, and I found very little information about the cybersecurity of medical devices. It was just one academic article that I came across from 2008 by a group of researchers at the University of Michigan, which uh, had the topic of the possibility of hacking pacemakers. Apart from this, there was very little information available. So Marie talked to her doctors. She questioned them about the security risks, about the potential for tech to fail or to be hacked. But the doctors just stared back at her quizzically. Most people who have implanted pacemakers never ask such questions. The information I got from the hospital was not really uh, targeted against the person with uh, deep technical knowledge like myself. You know, the average person that get a, a pacemaker implanted is a 80-year-old elderly person. And I don't think I'm the typical patient for, for this type of implant. So the doctors were not really used to uh, having to answer all the questions that I came with. Most doctors and healthcare professionals care about saving their patients, and rightfully so. But most times, they don't think about the cybersecurity issues when it comes to pacemakers. But pacemakers are just like little computers. They have software and firmware, and like any other piece of tech, they can have security issues. I, I think a lot of healthcare professionals hadn't even thought about the fact that this is a computer that is actually running code, software, firmware. It's running on this. It's an abandoned device inside of me. I'd rather know if there are any uh, cybersecurity problems with my device, if there is anything that is increasing my risks uh, by having the implant. When a device is connected to the world, it can be compromised. It turns out that some pacemakers today have Bluetooth connectivity. This makes it easy for a doctor to connect to the pacemaker without opening up the patient, but it also makes them vulnerable to cyber attacks. But now the implant is also uh, connected to computer network. To uh, indirectly, it's connected to the internet, and this was something that uh, also surprised me a lot when I found out about this. So I didn't know that my pacemaker has two antennas. So there's two wireless communication interfaces on my on my device. Not only can this device be hacked, but information can be sent over the air regarding the patient's health information. I found that my device has something called home monitoring capability. It's a, a way of getting telemetry data from the device sent over the air so that uh, there is a this will be sent over the, the telecom network. And then there is a server at the vendor where this information is collected. And then there's a web interface where the healthcare personnel, the doctors can log in and see what's the status of the pacemaker. Is there anything uh, that has been logged of interest that could be helpful for the, for the doctor to know about? Having this monitoring can be useful. 
It monitors the patient's heartbeat and health data. It helps these patients to be monitored remotely, so they don't always have to come into the hospital repeatedly. And in Marie's case, the monitoring was switched off, since she did not need to be watched as closely as the others. But still, the presence of these antennas bothered her. This was something that made me a bit, uh, you know, worried, because I know that uh, there are a lot of problems with implementing secure communication protocols. There's always bugs in software and adding all this uh, extra communication to the technology. It also opened up something we call an attack surface. So there, there are more ways into my device in case you want to be, in case you put yourself in the a role as an attacker that wants to do a cyber attack on a pacemaker. Having the pacemaker connected uh, makes it more vulnerable for uh, cyber attacks. The wireless connection that connects with the pacemaker at the hospital to update the software works at short range. Because of this, hacking is less of a problem. This means that if you want to do a, a cyber attack against uh, this uh, wireless communication interface, you need to be really close to the patient. However, home monitoring raises some other cybersecurity concerns. This can communicate with the pacemaker over long distances. It works the way that you have um, a box that looks a little bit like a, a wireless router in your home. And this is typically placed in the bedroom. This will initiate a communication with the pacemaker at a much larger distance, a distance of several meters. And if you have a special type of equipment, like a very strong antenna, you could potentially increase this the, the distance uh, that the potential hacker has to be uh, for, from attacking the device. So this opens up for different kind of threat scenario. We want data to be available from the pacemaker because that's just, this information is needed for doctors to be able to you know, give the, the optimal patient care and, and treat the symptoms. But there are problems to having easy access to medical data at a distance. There are many ways that data from health equipment can be tampered with. Let's imagine that you're switching from one a healthcare provider to another patient data is transferred, but it gets uh, you know, somehow tampered with or changed on the way. You will get the wrong configuration next time you go in for a checkup. There have also been cases where pacemakers have had faults or flaws in them. Uh, there have been several cases where uh, there have been problems with the batteries. So the batteries. Uh, uh, had something that's called a lithium bridge, which could cause them to suddenly be out of energy or out of power. And for someone like myself who is pacemaker dependent, that would be really critical if the battery suddenly runs out. We had this uh, incident, at least in the UK, a lot of hospitals were hit by something called ransomware. There was a ransomware for WannaCry that uh, made a lot of uh, hospitals uh, have to shut down and turn away patients because all of the, their uh, journaling systems were down because of this uh, virus that had spread all over their systems. So this means that the, the, the WannaCry was not, uh, this, this ransomware worm was not uh, 
particularly targeted against hospitals or against medical devices. But because of uh, the hospitals having a lot of systems online and uh, not having good enough, uh, let's say, cyber hygiene, <laughs> they hadn't patched the latest version of all their programs. They had some uh, old, you know, operating systems running on these uh, uh, on their systems and also on their medical devices. This allowed uh, them to be infected by this uh, virus. So you don't have to be actually targeted particularly by the attackers in order to get uh, affected by cyber attacks. It may even be possible for an individual to be targeted. Their pacemaker could be switched off maliciously or even adjust it. There's a possibility of uh, turning it off or just changing the settings in such a way that uh, it's not really treating your symptoms anymore uh, if you get uh, unauthorized access to, to the pacemaker and, uh, and you're able to change the settings. Previous uh, vice president of the US, Dick Cheney, he had a pacemaker and he got his wireless connectivity physically removed from his device because they were worried about, you know, uh, terrorist attacks or, or some assassination attacks. Normally, Marie does not feel her pacemaker working. It keeps her heart beating steadily, increasing the beats per minute when she needs it, and decreasing them when she is at rest. She even ran a half marathon with the pacemaker. But something very strange happened to Marie one day. Something that shows that the pacemaker is a machine, just like any other. I was sitting in the plane, and usually I don't feel that the pacemaker is generating all of my heartbeats. But then I suddenly felt it. It was a very strange feeling. It's like I was just sitting in the plane, and then suddenly I could feel that something was going on with my heart. And I looked down at my chest, and I could see my chest muscle. It was twitching in the rhythm of my heart, like involuntarily. And I never had, I never had this feeling before, because uh, yeah, usually I don't, I don't feel the pacing. Her first thought that there was something wrong with the wiring of her pacemaker. There are two wires that go from the pacemaker, which is just under my skin in the chest area. And these are then uh, pulled through a vein and uh, attached to the inside of the heart. And this wire is the, the part, the mechanical part of the pacemaker that usually can be a problem. That's uh, is like the highest probability of something going wrong with when it comes to a pacemaker. So my, my first thought was, wow, one of the, maybe one of the wires had, had come loose and is touching the muscle. She knew something was wrong. So she alerted the flight attendants. I told the, the crew in the airplane, I have a pacemaker, something is wrong with the pacemaker. And they went and conferred with the, with the captain, came back again and said, we're just 20 minutes away from, from Schiphol airport. Uh, if not, we would have redirected the plane and done an emergency landing. But uh, luckily they didn't have to do that. So we landed at the airport. There was an ambulance waiting for me that took me directly to the hospital. And I had to spend the night at the hospital in the Netherlands uh, under full cardiac monitoring. But the next morning, 
uh, they rolled in the equipment, the programmer, to, to do a checkup of my device. And uh, I was informed that uh, luckily there was nothing wrong with the hardware of the device. It was a software issue that could be corrected by a firmware update. Like many software programs, the pacemaker made its own log file when it failed. This log file revealed the source of the error and the cause of the failure in the first place. There was actually an error message displayed on the programmer, which the pacemaker technician has, had never seen before, which said data error in pacemaker. There was also a crash file created, a log file, which uh, is something you can investigate to see what actually went wrong with the pacemaker. It was after I got access to that uh, the information from, from that investigation, which was done at the, uh, the vendor, the pacemaker manufacturers took this file and, and investigated it and saw what had probably gone wrong, that I was informed that this was caused uh, by cosmic radiation, most likely. It turned out that Marie's pacemaker was hit by a cosmic ray. So, so what happened was when I was up, in the air flying, sitting in the, the air cabin, I was hit, or my device was hit by cosmic uh, rays, which are most, more likely to happen when you're up in, that, in the atmosphere. Uh, this caused something called bit flips in the memory of the device, which means that the ones turned to zeros and zeros turned to ones. And this basically uh, made the, the memory of the computer inside of me uh, not usable. After the incident, she did what any good cybersecurity person would do. She asked for a copy of that file for herself. And I had a USB memory stick in my bag, and I asked, uh, uh, since this is a, a log file coming from my heart, from my pacemaker, could I please get a copy of that file for my own research purposes? And because this is basically my data. So he was so good to help me with that. He, he took my membership, inserted it into the programmer, and gave me a copy of that file. When she opened the file, she realized that it was encrypted, and she couldn't read it. So she decided to hack into her own heart. And at the time, I was uh, supervising two master students on their projects. So I handed uh, this file over to my students, and I said, this is a great challenge for you to try to figure out how this file is encrypted, if this encryption is uh, good enough. Uh, so we had actually access to a pacemaker programmer in the lab because I had bought this programmer on eBay for $500, a used pacemaker programmer from a hospital in the US. Uh, so we had the programmer and they were able to reverse engineer uh, the code on the programmer and find that uh, piece of software which created that zip file and basically break the encryption of that zip file. This is where my background in, you know, I studied uh, cryptography uh, for my master's degree. When I found out <laughs> what kind of uh, encryption or how they had encrypted my patient data uh, on the programmer, that made me really unhappy. So, so actually, the encryption they used was pretty standard, and it's also uh, considered a good way of doing encryption. And they also had used the key length, which was uh, appropriate. 
the problem was the key they had used was the same everywhere. It was a hard-coded key, and this key was actually like the the password they used for the encryption. Uh, it was uh, the manufacturer's name in uppercase letters, uh, which is not very <laughs> impressive. And uh, we could see in the code that this was the same everywhere. So this is the way they encrypt patient data when you export it from one programmer and you want to send it somewhere else. So this means that the patient data from this programmer in the Netherlands was encrypted with the same key as from anywhere else in the world or for every programmer all around the world. You wouldn't make the password to your Wi-Fi so obvious, so why do it for sensitive medical data? Marie brought up her concerns with the manufacturer. When I reported these findings to the manufacturer, uh, I was hoping that they like, would take this seriously and, and try to correct it somehow. But instead, they uh, dismissed our findings uh, in a way. Their response is that this is not really encrypting patient data. This is just for our own integrity check to see that the file has not been corrupted on the way which I don't think really makes sense. So I'm still in discussions with the, the vendor, my pacemaker, about these uh, issues. But things are getting better. There are manufacturers who take security and safety very seriously. Uh, one thing we have done is to open up home monitoring units uh, from different vendors, um, from different, uh, say, generations, and seeing how the security encryption uh, algorithms uh, that are implemented in the different devices to protect this this wireless connectivity channel, and we we see that uh, that there has actually been improvement. So over the years, the security mechanisms have become stronger, and uh, for some vendors, they were basically non-existent, and then they started adding them. The devices are getting more secure, which is a really good thing. But still, there is a problem because how long these devices are out on the market before they can get replaced. We have this typically in embedded systems everywhere, but especially, you know, in implanted systems like implanted devices, the battery lifetime of my pacemaker is 10 years. So it's in my body for 10 years. And if you add to that, the, the time it takes to get the device approved for sale on the market from your starting to do in the design phase until you can actually sell it. That can typically take like five or six years. This means that the technology inside of my body is at least, you know, 15 years old. And uh, the same goes for a lot of these devices that are out there that are not implanted, but are the devices that communicate with the with the pacemakers. It takes a long time also to get those replaced to the newest models and so on. I would say that the medical device security is not very mature, but it's, it's getting better, at least. And also now the regulators like the FDA in the US have started to give guidance uh, to the uh, manufacturers about actually implementing cybersecurity uh, protection mechanisms in these devices, which was not an issue like 10 years ago. No one was uh, uh, asking about cybersecurity. No one was telling them that they needed to, to do this. 
Uh, I'm uh, also volunteering for this uh, grassroots organization called I Am the Cavalry. We are researchers, we are people working for the different you know, device manufacturers and so on that are concerned about uh, cyber safety or systems that can affect human lives. And we published something called uh, the Hippocratic Oath for Connected Medical Devices, uh, which is uh, five uh, principles that we want the, uh, the manufacturer of uh, medical devices to take into account when, when they're making these uh, medical devices. These are pretty easy principles. The first is that uh, we need to have cyber uh, safety by design. And this means that we need, we need to have uh, devices that uh, uh, are made such that uh, we can avoid failure, uh, which means that uh, they're using you know security, life cycle, development practices, that resilience is built into the products that we have a secure uh, supply chain for them. The second is uh, uh, we need to have a good third-party collaboration. So when researchers like myself discover flaws, find security vulnerabilities. We need to have a way of you know, reporting it to the vendors. Uh, the third is evidence capture. So uh, when something goes wrong, like when my pacemaker failed up in the air, it's important that uh, we're a- able to learn from these failures, that there are logs created, like the crash file that was created from my, my pacemaker, uh, and that uh, we have the expertise available to look into these failures. For me, I think that uh, it, it would be very good if we could have some third party, uh, like independent testing and independent analysis when cyber attacks might have happened. Today, there are no reported you know, cyber attacks uh, on medical devices that actually caused human lives uh, to be affected. But we don't really know this because there's a lot of uh, unreported uh, incident and, and incidents that go uninvestigated. Un- then we need to have uh, the fourth thing is resilience and containment, which means that uh, in case that uh, you have something that goes wrong, you need to be able to isolate this failure. This means that you need to design uh, the device's the system in such a way that, for instance, that you don't have the same password everywhere. So that if uh, a hacker gets into the sy- to one system, that they can have access to everything. Um, and then the last thing is that you need to be able to to perform cyber safety, cyber safety security updates in such a way that you can respond to incidents when they happen, and uh, also make sure that the, the patients actually get their software updates. In the future, more of us may be cybers like Marie. And hopefully then, groups like I Am The Calvary and people like Marie will have made it safer to have pieces of tech embedded in our bodies. Spark Dialogue Podcast is produced by me, Elizabeth Fernandez. You can find us on the web at sparkdialogue.com. Thanks for joining us and see us in two weeks for another episode. And Amber, you can become more involved in the podcast, ask future guest questions, and see advanced content on Patreon. Check us out at sparkdialogue.com and at patreon.com slash sparkdialogue. 
Some of the background music you heard was produced by me. Others are clips from Her by Drake Stafford. Dubuque Box by Sergei Cheremisnov. Stay the Course by Kevin McLeod. Probably Shouldn't by DJ Lang. And Lost Time by Kevin McLeod. More information about these songs can be found in the show notes at sparkdialogue.com.